Please be seated. Well, I mentioned last week, I think it was, or I don't remember when it was, but fairly recently that I, I really enjoy this time of the year because so many of our folks come back and visit, and we got a number of visitors with us here this morning. The, the Mays have like two rows back there and like a whole herd of grandkids. Uh, and it's nice to know that some things, you know, never change. Uh, Andrea, how old are you? 35? 35 and she's still making faces at me. Okay? I just want you to know that. Just remember, I always get the last word. So, you know. But it is a good time of the year. Lots of family comes home. Of course, lots of our folks uh, go off. But uh, uh, they'll be back and we appreciate that. We have been in the book of 1 Peter for quite some time now. We've been looking at it as Peter's travel guide as we journey through this world as as foreigners, and we've, we've seen over and over again that Peter has used this analogy that uh, this world is not our home, that we're just a passing through, uh, that, the, that our citizenship is in heaven, uh, that we are, as Jesus said, in the world but not of the world, and so we are just kind of passing through, and Peter gives us a guide how to navigate this world as we journey through as foreigners. Last week we read those verse, that verse that talks about being ready, always ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that we have. And we, we know that as Christians we ought to be ready not to explain a whole bunch of deep theological things, but at least ought to be able to explain to people, why are we Christians? You know, why do we live like we live? Why are we different from the world around us? Now, in our next verses that we're going to read this morning, Peter kind of gives us a reason for the hope, reminds us of the reason for the hope, and goes on to say some other things. So the verses are not on the, the slide because it's too long, but if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, or grab one of ones from in front of you, or turn on your device, or whatever the case may be, don't be playing games, though, uh, and don't be Googling me. Not me, but Googling what I say. All right, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. It says, It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That kind of just makes sense. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This morning I want to look at or offer three lessons that uh, we can find from these verses. And the first lesson is Christ is our hope. 
You know, Peter just said we ought to always be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that we have. And I'm mixing my NIV and my KJV in that as I realize that. But we ought to be able to tell somebody why we have hope. And Peter reminds us that the reason we have hope, the real reason we have hope is because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done for us. Peter reminds them of what they already knew. This was not new. This, as this was being read in the church, I'm sure that when it said that Christ died for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, I'm sure there wasn't anybody in there that, oh, that was just shocked. I don't imagine any of you were just shocked this morning when you heard that. But every now and then we need to be reminded of certain things. And the fact that Jesus Christ is our hope. The fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, is, is the basis, the foundation of our faith and the foundation of our hope. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I was just going to read that last verse, the part, you know, where it talks about God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Because it specifically fits with what Peter was talking about in these verses. But when I looked up and I read what brought that discussion on, I thought this also fits in with what we've been talking about in the book of First Peter. We are therefore ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you, we beseech you, we implore you. Be reconciled to God. And I got to thinking about this verse and what we've been talking about in 1 Peter. And it, not that it just kind of dawned on me, but it kind of made sense to put these two together. We are not merely foreigners in this land. We are not merely travelers. We are not merely sojourners. We are not merely pilgrims. We are ambassadors of Christ. Now, we understand and we kind of know that, that, no, that no matter where we go in the world, there is a sense in which we all kind of represent in one way or another the United States of America. And what we do and how we act is how some people will, will think of all Americans, right or wrong, as the case may be. Many of us remember, and, and, and if not, you know, you, you obviously watch the wrong channel. Uh, but, you know, the three uh, UCLA basketball players that were arrested for shoplifting in China. And that was a big deal, you know. And it was a big deal because of how they kind of cast a negative shadow over the United States, over the university for which they represent it. We are not just citizens passing through this country. We are ambassadors. We are the, the representatives 
of Christ here on earth. What we say, what we do, how we act has an impact on how others will view Christianity at large. How they will will view God. How they will view Jesus. I've told this story before, but it's been a while, so many of you may not have heard it. But when I was working for Texas Power and Light as a meter reader, I was reading meters in this uh, neighborhood, and uh, this, uh, uh, the, you know, this tells you how, <laughs> this is why I was just a meter reader. But you know, you got the meter thing here, and then you got the thing that goes up, and then you got the, the wires that go from that thing that goes up out to the, to the pole. Well, the thing that goes up, it pulled away from the wall on this lady's house. And she asked me, you know, would we fix that? And I said, certainly we'll fix that. And so I go back to the boss at the end of the day and I say, you know, this lady at this particular address, you know, her little thingy that I'm sure I was much more, you know, exact back then. Uh, but that thing, you know, is pulled away from the house and she asked we'd fix it. And I told her we would. So, you know, you need to send one of the, you know, service guys out there. And he said, that's not our responsibility. If it's connected to the house, that's their responsibility. We don't, you know, maintain the meter itself. And I'm like, uh oh, but you know what? We fixed it. Texas Power and Light fixed it. Why? Because I said we would. And even though I was an idiot, I had a little patch right here that said TPNL. I had a little hat that said TPNL. I represented. Texas Power and Light. And because I said we would fix it, even though I had absolutely no business saying that, which I was reminded of several times. Stick to reading meters, boy. (laughs) Even though I really shouldn't have said that and had no authority to say it because I represented the company, they fixed it. We represent Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. Everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we do, people are watching us. And they are measuring us against what they know God has said. We're not just foreigners here. We represent our home country. And I was thinking about this a little bit. You know, this may be stretching the analogy or the metaphor a little bit. But, you know, the, the, the embassy... Or the consulate, as the case may be. But the embassy, a foreign country's embassy, is sovereign ground. The Russian embassy, even though it's in Washington, is not American soil. It's Russian soil. Our embassy in England is not British soil. It is sovereign American soil. And I got to thinking about that a little bit as it applies to the church. This this here, 
This here doesn't belong to the world. This is God's people. This is a little bit of our citizenship here. It's not the full thing. The embassy isn't the full thing over in London, you know. It's just, you know, it's not. But this is a little bit of it. A little taste of it. And we long for the day when we go home and we're with God. Jesus became sin. He took our punishment. He paid our price so that we might become righteous. We were talking in the junior high class. Well, we actually mentioned it this morning. Now, I don't know where you are in your study on the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings. Uh, but to me, the key verse in the Sermon on the theme verse in the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, in which Jesus said, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so when we were talking about that in the junior high class, we were talking about, in the Bible, righteousness is used two ways. There's initial righteousness. That moment in which we are saved. And you are not more saved at any other moment in your life than you are at that moment. You can't be more saved, right? You either are or you're not. You're either saved or you're lost. And so when God imputes to us righteousness, when we become the righteousness of God, we're as righteous that moment as we will be 50 years from now. But there is an ongoing righteousness. We call that maturity, spiritual maturity, growing. Am I any more saved now than I was when I was 12 years old and baptized into Christ? No. Am I more Christ-like today? I hope so. I hope so. I hope in that sense I am more righteous in my living, in my thought, in my actions than I was a bunch of years ago. I was going to add them up, but I'm not going to. A bunch. I hope that I am more righteous today than I was yesterday. And that I'll be more righteous tomorrow than I am today. But we become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. His death was our salvation, our deliverance from the wages of sin. It brought us peace and reconciliation with God. And his resurrection is our hope. Paul tells us that without the resurrection of Christ, there is no hope for our resurrection. He says, you know, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then what makes you think we're going to be raised from the dead? But since Christ was raised from the dead, we have hope. We believe that we too will be raised from the dead. This all comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, you remember, where some of the people kind of had this concept that if you were not alive when Jesus came back, if you were not alive during the second coming, if you died before Jesus came back, you were out of luck. You missed it. And Paul says, if in this life only we have hope, we're the most miserable of people. But we have hope in our resurrection because Jesus was raised from the dead. His resurrection is our hope. 
we have hope for that same resurrection. The hope of going home to that place Jesus said he was going to prepare. And that brings us to the second point. Preaching to the spirits. There is perhaps no more confusing or debated passage in all of the Bible. If you would look again at chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Well, we'll back up to the end of verse 18. But he was made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Wow. That's a weird one. What does it mean when it says that Christ went and preached to the spirits in prison? Some of you are waiting with bated breath, right? I don't know what bated breath is, by the way, but anyway. I don't know. I don't have a clue. I spent two weeks reading every commentary I could and going through all this. What does it mean that Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison? And there's all kinds of possibilities. It could mean that the three days in which he was, you know, from his death to his resurrection, that he was in the realm of the dead, Hades, and he was preaching to them. Not a message of forgiveness, because their fate had been sealed, but a message of justice, as it were. Does it mean that in the time of Noah that Jesus came and preached in the time of Noah through the Spirit while the ark was being prepared? And I could go on and probably give you ten other possibilities. The truth of the matter is, I don't know. And I don't mean to insult you. You may have an idea, but I'm not sure you really know either. I'm not sure you can convince me that you absolutely know what this passage means and what Peter is talking about when it talks about Jesus going and preaching to the spirits in prison. Because I've been reading a lot of educated people over the last two weeks and ain't none of them convinced me what it means. I don't know what it means. But you know what? That's okay. That's okay. There are many passages in the Bible that are difficult, if not virtually impossible to understand with the context we are given. Now, we've been through Revelation before. We've kind of been through, you've been through it with me to some extent. There is a lot in the book of Revelation that I do not understand. There is a lot of imagery and a lot of symbolism, a lot of dragons, a lot of, you know, uh, serpents and a lot of, you know, all these different things. And, and I don't know what all of them mean. I know the gist. We win. That's, that, that's it. We win. That's the message of Revelation. But I don't know that we have to understand every image, every symbol in the book of Revelation. 
because there, and, and in this passage and in others, there's many interpretations, ideas, and theories. But here's the key. When they do not directly affect our salvation, our worship, or our conduct, they really don't matter. Now, don't, don't take that wrong. I'm not trying to say that the Bible doesn't matter. It matters. But in passages that we cannot understand, if they do not affect our salvation, if they do not affect our worship, if they do not affect our conduct, then maybe we shouldn't spend so much time arguing about them and worrying about them. Let me ask you this question. Does a proper interpretation of Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison, does that in any way affect our salvation? Does it in any way affect our worship? Does it in any way affect how I'm to live my life? If I believe this about that or I believe this about that, that's going to change how I live my life. It's not going to change how I live my life. It doesn't affect that part of my life. I'd like to know. I'd like to be right about that. I'd like it explained to me. But it doesn't change anything in my life. So we should not, I believe, spend a whole lot of time arguing and debating and questioning about it. Because, and we've mentioned this before, nobody is going to be right about every interpretation of every passage in the Bible. Except me. I'm the only one. I guarantee you. I don't know how many people we got here this morning. But I guarantee you there is not a single person in this auditorium. Who has the exact same interpretation I do. About every passage in the Bible. Would you agree with that? You know. So that means. Y'all are wrong. I mean, essentially. If we have to be right about every single interpretation of every difficult, questionable passage in order to go to heaven, what have I told you before? I'm going to be lonely. But we don't. There are things about which we don't understand and we can disagree that do not apply to our salvation, do not apply to our worship, do not apply to our conduct and how we live our lives. Mark Twain once said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand. And isn't that the truth? Isn't there so much in God's Word that relates to me right here, right now, about how I ought to be living my life, about how I ought to be treating other people, about, you know, the kind of employee or employer. And Aren't there all those verses about which, by the way, there's not a lot of argument. There's not a lot of misunderstanding. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. What do you not understand about that? What is hard to, hard to apply? Yeah. Hard to understand? No. And that's where we need to be spending our time and our attention is on the passages that are going to change our lives.
those passages that are going to affect our lives. All right. Point three, we're not going to do. Because there is no way we're going to get done in time. So we will save point three for another time. Remember point one and remember point two because they will be important as we get to point three. But we don't have time for point three this morning. Somebody went too long on point one and two. I know. Bryson, it's all your fault. So this morning, that totally ruins my conclusion, by the way, not having done point three. But what is important is that our hope is found in Christ. If you are not in Christ this morning, if there's some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.